Hello and welcome to Behind the Health Statistic. My name is Ricky Hallier and I'm a lecturer at Cardiff University School of Healthcare Sciences. Today my colleague Gemma Stacey Meal will be speaking to Rob Parker about his experience of gambling addiction. So what is gambling addiction? Well, it's also known as pathological gambling, compulsive gambling or a gambling disorder. People with this addiction struggle to control the impulse to gamble even when it has negative consequences for them, their families or others. According to the Gambling Commission, we know there's around about 50% of the population that have gambled in some format in the last year. In Wales, figures suggest around about 55% of people spent money on gambling in some form or another, including lotteries. In the UK, it's thought there's around about 340,000 people who would be considered as problem gamblers. We also think there's around about 50,000 children and young people who would be considered as being in an at-risk category. During COVID lockdown, it appears that the online gambling market grew with a month-on-month increase of 3% in gross gambling yield and a 7% increase in active accounts. Statistics produced by the National Union of Students and the Gambling Commission survey looking at students alone suggest the following. Around three in five students have gambled in the last year. One in eight will bet more than he can afford to lose. Almost one in 10 people have used at least some or all of their student loan to gamble. Nearly a quarter feel guilty when gambling. The NUS also found that nearly half of students who gamble have got into debt owing more than £1,000, with one in five owing more than £5,000. Around half of students who gamble do so to make money. So now over to Gemma and Rob. So Rob, can you just introduce yourself for me? Yeah, so hi, my name is uh, Rob Parker, uh, and I have uh, lived experience of sort of uh, gambling-related issues, um, and I currently work for a charity called um, ARA. Okay. And... So can you just tell me a little bit, um, Rob, about how you become involved with this, um, with this charity? Um, and just tell me a little bit about um, you, about your life, and, you know, what's been, what's been going on for you? Why you, why you become involved, really? Yeah, so I've become involved through sort of, um, well, a lived experience, basically, um, in relation to gambling. Um, I've sort of attended uh, GA and, and had counselling on, on the back of sort of my issues over the past couple of years um, and as sort of time has gone on just sort of realised that I want to sort of put back into some of the services that I've taken from um, you know and to, and to try and help other people that may be going through sort of the same issues that I sort of did. Um, so my, my gambling addiction, I mean, I, I gambled for, for many years, you know, from when I was sort of a teenager, uh, always sort of had an interest in, in gambling. It was something that uh, I sort of my, my dad did around the house, you know, for sort of fun. Um, but I always loved sports, you know, I could play most sort of sports reasonably well, you know, football, snooker, tennis. So I was fairly au fait with a lot of these sort of things. And then sort of, I think gambling and some of them is just sort of a natural sort of byproduct, if you like. Um, so just, to, so, just to, before you go on, Rob, I guess it's just, um, so can just t- set the scene for us a little bit here. So, so how old are you and when, um, cause you mentioned that how you, how gambling has been around. Um, so maybe just tell us a little bit about your, your childhood and, and how you were first introduced maybe. To, to um, yeah, about. sure. So, um, as I said, I was always sort of generally interested in sport, you know, pretty much as soon as I could work. I think I was kicking a ball as far as I've been told, um, you know, always sort of interested in, in, in that sort of stuff. Um, dad at home would always sort of have a bet on um, horses. Uh, I was very keen in football from an early age. So it was just sort of things that were just sort of there, really, if you like. Um, 
and I mean, there's no issues in, in terms of, you know, my dad, he's sort of a fun social gambler, if you like, you know, and it's, oh. it's just something that I picked up off him, I guess, you know, just sort of a, a boy and, and, and his dad. Um, and it was just something that was just always there at home, really, I, I guess. Um, just something, you know, you're sort of familiar with. Um, can you remember kind of anything about that that you kind of enjoyed or that you were intrigued with or? I was intrigued by watching sort of the horse racing, you know, it was, it was a, seemed a bit of fun to me. It was something, um, you know, we used to do it. He used to maybe sort of place a bit of a fun bet for me that if it come in things like similar to my sort of name, so anything that was named Rob or Robbie or Bob mm -hmm. or anything along that sort of line, you know, he'd say, oh, I put like, 20p on it for you and if it comes in you know i got a couple of quid i could throw in my money box you know when you're little obviously that's all that's all sort of fun stuff um and all that sort of stuff um so yeah it was just sort of that fun aspect really if you like and i think when i was around about sort of 10 11 um i think my sort of my stepdad introduced me to sort of um football accumulators um and sort of having a, a bet on on the football so it was like um you know this is what i do you know you pick so many teams and uh, on a Saturday and it's fun, you know, watching the results or listening to the radio, whatever it was, you know, watching the games. So it's just all that sort of fun aspect really of it. Um, okay. And then before long, then it's all, well, do you want to have a go at picking four or five, you know, I'll stick 50p or whatever it was. Um, and that's sort of, I, I guess, sort of my first involvements uh, in that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, you know, it was all that, it was all that fun aspect. It was all eventually miles away from, from what I was doing, basically. So you're quite young, I guess, from what you're saying. So kind of from that early kind of childhood watching and going to the, to the betting shops and then kind of having that kind of more, more knowledge about accumulators, kind of 11, 12. Yeah. So kind of what happened then kind of in your, in your teenage Yes. Um, yeah, so I guess, I think I, I remember placing my first bet, I think I was um, do, 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 about 16 and a half. Um, I was in Cardiff one day shopping. Um, I think I had to go in and get some stuff for school or whatever it was. Um, and I knew how to write out betting slips and all this sort of stuff. And I just thought, oh, I wonder you know, if I'd try my luck. Um, I think at my age, uh, they hadn't brought in sort of the 18 plus rule yet. So you were sort of allowed to go into bookies. Um, so I was familiar with bookies locally because I'd, I'd pop in on a Saturday with my dad or my stepdad, you know, to go and place their bets. Um, but obviously I'd never. So I just thought, well, let, let's give it a try, shall we? Uh, and I did. And I think yeah. obviously I was quite sort of confident. Whoever was obviously sitting behind the counter must have thought, well, this guy knows what he's doing, you know. So I probably wrote out the slip and was looking at the screens and the price and all that sort of stuff. Anyway, basically sort of placed my first bet. Um, followed it that afternoon um, and I, I had some winnings back from it. I think it was relatively a couple of quid, you know, for, for that sort of age um, and for the bet. And then I ended up picking up that slip then in my local bookies. Um, and again, they must have thought, well, we reckon we know this guy, but OK, maybe we didn't know he bet, but I'm now going in presenting my own slip to collect the winnings. So they okay. must have just thought, oh, OK, then, well, maybe he's now allowed to gamble. Uh, and as I say, it was it was sort of about two years before they sort of started bringing in sort of the IDs and the 18, uh, you know, Ask 18 and all that sort of stuff, which we, which we have now. Okay. Um, and I guess I just continued from there then. So I probably collected my winnings, placed another bet then in that shop and probably then turn back up the next day to either place another one or collect more winnings or whatever it was. So, and I think that was just the cycle then really. Yeah. So I guess okay. about a year and a half later when I turned up with an 18 
happy 18th birthday badge on, they probably looked at me a bit funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So going back then, so that was because that was something that sounds like you did with you and your you and your dad. Were any of the, have you got siblings or any of the kind of family members? Could they see what was going on? Was there any ever any discussion? Not about really. It? it was just as I say, it was just something that just happened. My dad had mm -hmm. a bet, and and that was it. Really, it was just it was an interest. It was a hobby, if you like. Um, no, I, I have an older sort of sister, but it was, no, it was just mainly sort of, you know, the boys really. Okay. That's, um, so no, that's interesting. It's just something that you and your dad did and it's kind of, it sounds like it grew, progressed, 16, then 18. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what, can you, can you remember that feeling or what did you ever have that kind of feeling when you were kind of 16 or 18, like you say, when you realised that actually you can do this on your own, you don't, you know, you don't need to go with your dad anymore. What was yeah, it was just, um, just a little bit of freedom, really, I guess, at that sort of age, you know, something you could uh -huh. do something. Um, again, it was sort of a hobby of, of mine at that point. You know, say football was always that sort of case anyway. Um, and, and I liked following the racing um, and, you know, the racing sort of daily. Um, so it's just something you sort of do and it becomes in, ingrained, if you like. So it, it becomes a bit of a ritual, you know, going to the bookies in the morning, maybe looking at what's running that day, placing your bets. Um, and you know yeah watching them throughout the day then and either going back up later that day to pick it up or, or go back the next morning to go again okay so what about that emotional feeling that um kind of that kind of was there any kind of physiological emotional what what did you kind of associate with that winning it was just again it was a uh, you know there was obviously a bit of a buzz there um it was I mean, I'd always sort of, it was that, definitely that freedom aspect, I think. It was always something that um, ever since I was sort of around 12, 13, I'd always sort of earned my own money. So anything sort of I needed, like basic sort of stuff or nice things, um, you know, at the time it was like maybe like CDs or, um, you know, maybe some, some clothes or yeah. uh playstation games or anything along that sort of line i didn't really have to ask anybody for them so when i had that sort of money then i was just able to go out and do it um and i sort of then had a proper part-time job from about sort of 15 16 so i just always had that sort of that freedom aspect and it was just all sort of part of that that you were just sort of progressing in life i guess and you know you sort of looked up to other people and say right well, that's what they do uh, and now i'm being able to do that myself so i guess it was all just sort of uh, linked into there really but it was it was more it was just a hobby it was just something of interest to me that i i genuinely liked if you like okay so you mentioned um earlier about that it gave you that buzz can you yeah. describe that buzz to me a little bit in a little bit more detail i guess yeah so it's just um <sighs> You know, obviously, you know, going into the bookies, having that sort of that environment, it's something that's a, a little bit different, um, you know, going into the shop, um, you know, speaking to people, socialising about the same things that you like, really, I guess. So that, that's sort of the first thing. It's like when you go into these little places, yeah, some of them are sort of quite small, dark and, and dingy, and it's just a little different world, if you like. Yeah. Uh, they are, a lot of them are sort of changed now. They're a lot more sort of open and, and sort of friendly sure. to, to everybody. But um, but sort of then it was still sort of that, that transition phase, I guess. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, you know, when you're placing the bet, you know, watching a horse race, it's something that develops over sort of, a couple of minutes so you know if it could be obviously if your horse is sort of there you know and as you come in towards sort of 
the late offences of the race or, you know, the last couple of yards or whatever it might be. And, you know, if you're in with a shout, then you, you really do get that excitement. You might start maybe shouting at the TV or other people are on the same horses as you in the bookies or um, yeah. it's just sort of all, it's all the environments. Um, it's just a bit different that you don't really get sort of in other places. Um, and I guess it's a lot different these days with online because you just, you, you don't, you don't have that sort of social aspect too much anymore. Um, I mean, obviously sort of so, some people do, but I think the percentages and the stats are sort of showing, obviously it's the trends have gone that it's, it's flipped from sort of land based to online stuff. And I think with obviously everything that people are going through at the moment, you know, with COVID, I think that's just going to accelerate that even, even further away. Yeah. So that, um, so it sounds like that, that excitement that you've kind of invested that energy, you've kind of looked at the accumulators, yeah. invested some money, um, that the excitement, the social aspect of it. Is it that competitiveness with yourself or other people or? I think so. Yeah. I've got a bit of a competitive nature. I think if I, if I do something, I've got to do it a hundred percent properly or to the best of my ability, even if it's okay. maybe not the best you know if somebody can do it better as long as I do what I can do um I, I I'm still exactly the same now you know if I'm doing something it's got to be done properly or you know to, to 100% I guess with sort of the horse racing stuff is when you're when you're researching it yourself um and you're you know you're spending all this time reading news and all that sort of stuff it, it's a it's quite a sort of little personal triumph if yeah. you do sort of have have a win or whatever because yeah you can read all the tips and you can listen to the things on the telly and that sort of thing but it's ultimately your decision you know as to which one you put in or which one you go with um and i guess it's just all sort of part of it i guess and all part of the the fun so um so you mentioned then so that you've um so you obviously from 16 18 you started to get your own money and then kind of buying things like the cds and you know the nice things that you could when you're 16 1718. Um, how did this then um, kind of progress over kind of up into your 20s? Yeah, so um, I did go to Cardiff University actually for, for a year. Uh, I was studying uh -huh. journalism at the time um, and I was staying in Cardiff, um, but I still continued my part time job because I was so local to where I am. Um, so again, I still sort of had had monies and that sort of thing. And it didn't really stop. It would just be, you know, taking a wander into Cardiff, you know, going to place a better lunchtime. It just, it didn't really change if you like. Um, I had an opportunity sort of the first uh, university summer to, to cover sort of a maternity leave, uh, a state agent. Um, and I went and worked there for a couple of months. Um, and then there was an opportunity at the end then to actually sort of stay on there um with sort of prospects of a career following that and it was a decision i sort of had to make um and i i decided to follow that rather than sort of university and education sure um and sort of i guess the first um well yeah the next sort of couple of years up until probably about 22 23 um it was just saving for sort of a house you know i was in that sort of realm being an estate agent yeah. you know I could do that but okay. I was home from uni now I'd, I'd experienced again sort of being away from home even more sort of freedom that sort of stuff yeah. so it, once I was home it was sort of a case of oh I don't, don't want to be here anymore I'd rather have my own space and that sort of thing so um, you know I was driven to do that um, I'd kept my other job on as well so I was working two jobs for about three four years okay. um, and you know sort of just going back a little bit, Rob, sorry, I just, I'm just really interested and intrigued then. So kind of from when you're 18 yeah. um, 
and you're betting how how often a week were you betting so it's it would be daily um i think it was still all in the shop at that time i hadn't got any sort of online accounts or anything like that so it would be going at probably in my lunchtime okay um having a read of the paper you know maybe going to get a bit of food but then it would rather than wandering around aimlessly i would, I would go to the bookies place bets um you know read the papers all that sort of stuff um and yeah it would again maybe collecting on the way home if the results had come in or if there was stuff in the night I might pop back in so sort of once or twice a day it was still at that okay. point quite um sort of that fun hobby if you like it was just something that I did it was it was an interest um it wasn't causing me any issues you know the, the so you had a, you, you had relationships you had a job yeah. family weren't saying anything about your gambling or no it was no. just it was something that they were, you know, by that point, goodness me, you know, it was about three, four years by then, you know, so it yeah. was just, oh, your dad did it, now you're doing it, or just, you know, whatever. <laughs> so it was completely it was... kind of um, that, that norm for your family, for you, that's what you did. It wasn't affecting relationships, your finances. No, it was interesting. You know, the boys yeah. on the weekends, you know, you're watching watching the football matches, you know, that sort of stuff. You've maybe got a dream team or you've got, you know, your football accumulators, that sort of thing. It's yeah. just that sort of fun, social um, hobby interest, okay. really. And that's and that's how it was. And if, yeah. if you happen to win, you were able to put some money maybe towards my savings for my house. Or, you know, maybe let's say have a night out, you know, and but you've won the money instead or whatever it was. It was it was just fun, you know, it was all affordable, all that sort of okay. stuff. Okay. So you're kind of now in your mid twenties, it sounds, mm. and you're still yeah. you're gambling, everything's fine. So at what point did you think where, where was that this tipping balance, I guess, that we yeah, so, actually this is now a, a problem? Or somebody well, I got my own um, problem. Yeah, I got my own house then eventually when I was um, about 21. Okay. Um, and I think I concentrated on that obviously for a little while. It needed quite a lot of work, that sort of stuff. So uh, I was concentrating on that, but I was still working two jobs. Um, I also, round about that sort of time, met my now wife. Um, yeah. So yeah, you know, things were just progressing in life I guess you know yeah. you, you moved yeah. out you got a house you got a job you know maybe changing your car all that sort of you know it was just progressing maybe quite sort yeah. of boring for a guy about 21 you know maybe you're still sort of thinking of that university yeah. stuff going really out different. it was never really in my remit you know I was always hard working um and I, I always sort of had money on me you know to to, to, to go out if somebody said we're going out you know it wasn't I couldn't afford it it was always yep let's go and all that sort of stuff it was always I was always able to do those sort of things yeah um, and I guess it, it was round about that sort of time I, I can't put an exact date on it uh, sure, sure. but it was around about sort of 22 um, I think um, where I don't know why um, and I still can't really remember any of the details around it but for some reason um, I I took some cash from work. Okay. Um, I remember what I did with it, but I can't remember the reasons as to why, what built up and, and sort of the amount and that sort of stuff. Sure. Um, it was obviously probably that I was maybe spending the money on the house instead. And I really wanted to place a bet and I didn't have the cash to do so. Yeah. Um, there was money floating around the office. Um, and for whatever reason, I sort of took it and, and placed a bet. Um, and that was the start of it, really. Um, 
Yeah. So there was no, there was no kind of, um, kind of significant event, if you like, that you thought, oh, I really needed this money. It, it was like, a, it sounds like it was, um, that there wasn't, but you had that opportunity. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I, I think so. There was an opportunity. Um, and as I said, it's re I, I have tried to genuinely think about this, to put it right, sure. because I know where I am now. I, I do sort of tell my experience relatively often or share it with people. And obviously yeah. I try to remember these little significant details, but this particular yeah. one, I, I just can't, um, I can't think of an exact sort of day or reason or as to why I'd started to do it. Um, I think obviously the gambling had started to become a lot more regular. Um, uh -huh. I think I'd started to open sort of online accounts as well. Okay. Um, yeah. So whereas previously I'd been going into the bookies, you know, just spending what was in your wallet. Um, I think when it starts going online, you was start that... to lose track a little bit. Okay. And was that, um, did your partner know at the time? Was that something that only you knew about your online? It was only accounts? something I knew. Yeah, nobody okay, so knew that anything. Very, so that was a change in, in behaviour, I guess. So it was yeah. a, a, a real normal um, family. This is what Rob did. Um, your mates knew about it. So when you opened up that kind of those the, the, the first initial online accounts, can you remember kind of thinking that you should be doing this or why are you doing it? Did you have any? I just thought it was fantastic at the time because sure. I could, I didn't have to go out anymore. I could uh -huh. go straight home from work um, and place a bet, you know, for that evening. If the football starts, you know, quarter to eight, eight o'clock, wherever it is, um, I could place a bet quarter past seven you know if it was in the winter I didn't have to go out anymore um if I was in my other job which was sort of a, normally of an evening I could yeah. do it on my phone um and no one it, was, it was just the accessibility you. yeah so your, your partner at the time didn't question so this no it was just um it was just a change in how you did it basically sure. so it was just I, I don't go to the shop as much anymore so now I'm doing it online instead um and I think all that sort of stuff was relatively sort of new or yeah. coming in again at that sort of time. So it wasn't, uh, you know, as sort of spoken about as we do, as we speak about it now. Um, it was just, okay, this is interesting. I'm sure somebody at some point must have said, you know, we'll just be careful, but you know, you just, yeah, yeah. Okay. That'd be fine. Yeah. So you started, so you didn't tell your partner, didn't tell anybody, this was something that you did yeah. online. And then, so you mentioned then that you had a couple of online accounts you took that opportunity um kind of from work to take yeah. um so how how did that progress then over the next um kind of year two years well, i guess thinking about it probably i my main aim would have been to have probably to try to stop my second job um you know I, I did work hard i was working 15 16 hours a day about sort of four times a week sure. um so i guess the aim was to probably try to get rid of that second job if you like um and whether in my mind, I knew certainly down the line, it was something I thought of in the crazy world that I'd built up. Um, but maybe I just thought that my gambling could subsidize that sort of income. Instead, you know, if I was to be winning regularly, that sort of thing, then maybe I didn't have to have that sort of part-time job um, that topped up my wages. Um, yeah, nobody nobody knew about the online, but people, sorry, people knew I gambled online. Um, yeah. But yeah, they, they didn't realise obviously what, what else I was doing. And that, um, that was something that didn't come out until the very the end. Nobody knew anything that I did um, 
as, as okay. I'm sure we'll, we'll continue now. Yeah. Okay. So kind of work. Um, so work. You managed to keep the, your your one of the, your main job. Yeah. Um, and then I guess just talk me through kind of that that few years, couple of years at work. Yeah, so I guess um, so. So work was going well. We we were. Um, I, I took over as manager of um, uh, the lettings department. It was something that was new at the estate agent, sort of in the early days. Yeah. Um, and obviously, the, uh, the owner saw something in me, uh, took me on, and um, and we progressed. We progressed really nicely. We took on mm -hmm. more staff. Um, it was expanding as sort of the, the sales department had done. Um, and yeah, I was in charge of it basically. So I, I had control, um, and it was, it was progressing, progressing well. Um, so, you know, on, on the surface, everything, everything's sort of great. Um, I think sort of when I was 23, then I did eventually drop sort of my second job. Um, and I guess maybe round about that point, then I would have probably been gambling more, sort of taking more regularly, uh, money, um, that sort of thing. And I think that sort of carried on until about sort of 25. So I was probably gambling a lot more, the accessibility, I could do it in okay. work, I could do it at any point. Um, I was trying to follow tipsters a little bit more. I was involved in groups on social media, you know, that were talking about this sort of stuff. Um, when it's online as well, you can watch it. So as long as you have a bet, you can watch it. So if I did have a bet on it, whereas sort of previously, um, obviously I couldn't watch it because but online now I could place a bet and I could watch it on my phone. I could yeah. watch it on my thing. Uh, the role I had as well, uh, I had so much, not uh, time on my hands, but I, because I was out and about, um, I could pop into a bookies or I could, uh, you know, watch something on my phone or do it on my phone. Um, it sort of all becomes so much more accessible. And whereas instead of going sort of once or twice a day, I was now, you know, looking at it pretty much all the time, basically. Sure. Did it, can, did you, can you remember feeling consumed by it that you couldn't kind of stop once you started? No, um, I didn't. And I think it was because it was a slow buildup um, in this particular case. It was yeah. just something that, you know, you do it sort of maybe one hour a day, then, you know, after a couple, you do it two hours a day and, and just so on. It, it was just something that gradually built up over time, sort of like that snowball effect, but um, sure. a lot sort of smaller. It was very slow and gradual. Um, so at the time I didn't recognize it. Um, and I don't think really, again, people sort of around me didn't really, nobody sure. really ever questioned me about it at all. Um, sure. to a certain extent, I think it was just accepted that it was something that I did. Um, and I talked about it fairly openly. So yeah. I don't know that it was just that people just were there and just saying, yeah, yeah, but really they're not interested in the conversation or, you know, this guy just goes on about this okay. too much, which I probably did. Um, but yeah, nobody ever really sort of questioned me about it and I wouldn't have paid any attention to them anyway, I don't think. So did, um, so, so that's really interesting that when you talk about it and, it, and like you say that sometimes it sounds like it was falling on kind of deaf ears that actually mm. how much do we listen and hear what people are saying as yeah. well. So that's quite interesting. Was there any a point where you kind of questioned yourself? Um, what you were doing? I guess obviously I, I was thinking, you know, what, why am I taking this money? You know, that sort of thing. I think oh. in my own head, I thought eventually that I would maybe um, create a system or hit on a bit of a trend where I would be able to 
um, sustain the money myself uh, and right. would start maybe either winning more regularly or would, you know, something along that sort of line where I wouldn't then have to take it from work. You know, it's not in me to do this sort of thing. It's so out of character, you know, I've sure. never done anything like this again. It's not something that I was brought up like. It's not something I bring my kids up like. It was just something that in those, in that moment over that sort of period of time, just become normal if you like which is yeah. a horrible thing to sort of say um but that that genuinely was the case it was just become something it almost become ingrained in me in almost like a daily basis exactly like it did when i it was automatic it was i'm going for a bet so i need the money so i'm going to take it it yeah. was just part of the process in in a horrible way it sounds awful i think um i think from what you're saying that the it was it was such a, a part of you um, yeah. which is, so to, to question it sounds, um, yeah, that, that's really interesting kind of that, what, you, what you're saying. So when it kind of peaked, so you're still in your twenties. Um, yeah. so what was, um, I guess, you know, for, for you to, to share if you'd like to is, is when did it get kind of get to the point where you just thought, Do you know what, this is, this is feeling out of control. I'm not comfortable. Yeah, you. so I think, um, so as I say, I started doing it more regularly, opening the online accounts, that sort of thing. Eventually, I think I was about 25, I started getting um, really friendly with um, a contact that I'd made, um, who was very knowledgeable um, in, in the horse industry. And we started talking and he started sending me tips, which were very good. Um, and yeah, we started texting regularly you know like i mean daily <laughs> um yeah. and it just continued from there and then eventually he sort of said right would if i carry on sending you these would you start placing um small bets for me almost like sort of a tipping service and i said okay no worries but i'll have to see how it sort of goes um and it was very successful at the, at the beginning well it was successful throughout and this is the problem i think this is the part where i recognized the addiction part came in okay. was that these these things were very successful i think professionals in this sort of they place a handful of bets, a day, you know, one or two bets a day, not very many a week. You know, they're able to sit down and select these things. If they have information, you know, they'll put that many. So I was doing these and was seeing that they were successful. I was taking more money from work. But, um, I mean, the, I was betting hundreds of pounds per bet at this particular point. But I was obviously having decent turnover. There was winnings coming in. And I think it just all got lost together, to be honest. What was winnings, what wasn't, what was mine, what was money that I, it just, it was just all become one. Um, but what, where I could see these were successful and which is why I continued it, the part I didn't realize was then that I couldn't just do one or two bets a day. That wasn't what it was about. I had to place more bets. If I thought a horse was going to win i'd have to place a bet on it so i would do these two or three but i would also then do another 10 okay. and i would also do five football accumulators as well because i was interested in it because i liked football okay. and that's where the gambling addiction sort of really sort of i guess looking back being sure. there at the time um i don't didn't even think about this but it's only sort of thinking back and analyzing and that sort of stuff yeah um yeah. It was, yeah, you know, I, I didn't have control over that. I, I didn't have that switch in my head that said, right, if you're going to do this properly, this is how you do it. Or you're, you've lost the fun social aspect of it. You're spending way too much, all that sort of stuff. None of that was ever there. 
Um, and I guess that's why then it, it just sort of snowballed. You know, I was betting these huge amounts. Um, and then because I was gambling these huge amounts regularly, my bets, the, the stakes then began to increase as well. So, you know, sure. it's no longer fun to place a couple of pound bet, you know, a fiver or a tenner. It has to be, even if it's a simple bet that I don't even think maybe it's going to win, it's more of a, I don't know a particular reason why I've done that bet. You know, it's... Uh, something i'd read previously or sure. um, yeah or a crazy football accumulator you know one of those worldies that you're going to win hundreds of thousands of pounds even those bets they they couldn't be a pound anymore they had to be like a hundred quid or 50 quid or whatever it was sure. um and they had no chance of coming in but yeah i built up that tolerance if you like and i, I those sure. bets had to be of certain value otherwise there was no point you know somebody said like there's a fiver go and place a free bet i would look at them as if they were silly because i would just say that doesn't interest me that's not my level you know sure. i'm i'm up here now and it's arrogant to think like that so i i um the the term you just used that that tolerance yeah. and then earlier on kind of in the conversation you talked about that buzz so yeah. do you think it was that needing to, to kind of put more money in to get that same buzz is that what you can yeah definitely point? Definitely. Yeah. Um, and yeah. yeah, if, you know, to win a couple of thousands become regular to me, sure. which somebody else did that would be like, wow, that's it. I'm, I'm finished. You know, I'm booking a holiday. But to me, that was, that become almost daily, yeah. if you like. It sounded like that was part of the kind of that trajectory yeah. of kind of from when you were 15, 16, and this is, you yeah. were getting older, you had more money, disposable money. It was more disposable money to start with. And then obviously then it becomes sort of, you know, the criminal aspect of it. Then sure. it becomes more money. Um, yeah. You almost had that sort of snowball effect in stages rather than yeah. sort of um, continuous, if you like. Yeah. As I say, once that hit then 25, then for that two years, then um, after that, then it was just stupid monies, you know, taking from work, stupid monies being bet. Um, sure. it was 16, 18 hours a day on my phone. Um, it was turning out, waking up in the morning and turning over to your phone, checking what texts were coming through. It was watching the news with your breakfast, you know, the sky sports news or the racing news or wherever it was. Sure. It was going to work, checking the emails, um, was an inconvenience if you like. So I had to sure. get out, you know, I get as much done as I could within those first couple of hours. So that then by the time sort of lunchtime came, I could go up to the bookies, either place a bet or read a newspaper or whatever it was. Um, and then the afternoon then is just sort of racing. So it's either watching it in work or on my phone or whatever it was. So was your behaviour um, now being noted by your partner, by work colleagues? Not really. Um, well, not, not that anybody ever sort of mentioned to me. Again, it was... Um, I think it was just something that that aspect of it was just sort of slow and steady through the years, if you like. Um, but I would come home and I would say, I've won this amount of money. We're going out for food tonight or we're going to do this. And I don't think anybody ever sort of questioned me. They knew I bet heavy. They knew I was getting tips. They knew these sort of things were successful, but I don't think obviously everybody realized obviously first off what I was doing, how sure. I was funding it. Um, and you know, second, I don't think obviously everybody then realized, or as I say, all of the other bets that I was placing as well, you know, yes, yeah. I was 
I was telling people about the tips and how great they were. Um, and I was sharing them with sort of family, that sort of thing. Um, sure. And they could see from that aspect, they could see how I would have been having large amounts of money or the availability to do certain things. Sure. Um, but I don't think obviously they real, well, they, they didn't realize yeah. that I was, you know, I was placing a bet every what couple of minutes, basically. Sure. That's a, that's a lot of betting. It's a lot of betting. And it's, it's one of the things I, re I, I regret, obviously, a lot of stuff and obviously sure, all the effects sure. it's had on my family. But personally, one of the things that I do is that the amount of time that I lost, okay. not, not putting into things that mattered, uh -huh. um, you know, number one, into my first career, you know, uh, in the estate agents, you know, I, I should have gone uh back to sort of education and and done my sort of levels and grades with that i didn't it was just something that i picked up as i went along um sure. and i do sort of have a bit of a, a trend at sort of doing that if you like um you know I'm, I'm quite sort of relatively intelligent i think but um you know sort of picking sure. I, can, I can pick things up relatively quickly and i think that was the case i i was able to manage a team and i was able to do this without having this certificate saying I had a certain qualification I could yeah. just do it through sort of experience um and and sort of when we start when we had kids so I think my daughter was born when I was sort of 26 okay. um I recognize now looking back again sort of you know not spending quality time with her or if I was sort of on the floor playing or whatever it was, the racing would be on the telly in the background or sure. my phone would be in my hand, you know, that sort of thing. If I went out with my wife, I, I don't know the amount of times I probably did this and with mates as well. Um, and again, it's all things that obviously have come out since, you know, oh my goodness, we, we should have recognized that, that, you know, that sort of thing sure. was that I would go out and I would be gambling on uh, American stuff because it's on late in, you know, I'd be there two o'clock in the morning in a club or in a pub, uh, you know, sure. watching a, watching a horse race. You know, okay. that's just, that's not normal, you know? <laughs> yeah. So it's that, um, that balance, um, earlier on, I mentioned kind of like that, that tipping point where it became, or it felt out of control. So it sounds like you had this um, trajectory um, and it changed over time. And I guess at, at its peak, if you're happy to share, at its peak and at, at its worst point, um, you know, kind of looking back, I guess, is, is what can you remember? Um, I guess, remember the, the, the thoughts, the feelings around that because what I'm quite interested in in after is that you, that was the worst moment for you and I guess what I you know the next lot of questions I've got is really looking at um you know how how have you how have you changed what measures have you put in place and what what can how, how does your future look from a, a coping without gambling I guess yeah so again at the time there were signs there and I can think of certain examples um but at the, at the time I just I I didn't recognize it. You know, I, it wasn't something I wanted to give up. I didn't think I had a gambling problem. Even, you know, again, as crazy as that sounds, you know, taking significant amounts of money, it was just something that I did. It was just, sure. you know, there was no, yeah, it didn't make sense. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense looking back now is to think, you know, how can you act like that? How, how is, how can you consider that to be normal? Um, but, looking back and again it's only stuff from looking back that i can i can see um how stressed i would have been i was yeah. so stressed and agitated um at the time 
for probably uh, quite a few years, you know, and I'd probably put it down to sort of work. But I think it was that work was getting in the way of my gambling. Yeah. In yeah. a weird about way. Um, so I would become stressed that I couldn't gamble enough or that I, I didn't have the time to watch certain things that I wanted to or to read certain things I wanted to. And everything else around that gambling was sort of a, um, an inconvenience, if you like. So, um, so I used to be very stressed, very agitated, um, procrastinating, you know, that sort of stuff. Um, yeah. Unless it was gambling, you know, if it was gambling, then I'd be 100% on the ball uh, and on the money. But everything else, oh, I'll, I'll do that later or I'll put that off or, uh, I'll, you know, sort of half an effort put into it, which, which you know, which, which isn't me really. Um, and as I say, you know, um, relationships, you know, gambling when I should have been concentrating on other things, all, all that sort of stuff. Um, I mean, one specific sort of thing, it's only sort of a small thing I used to, I pointed at was that part of the stress was I used to get horrific mouth ulcers, which okay. is really bizarre. Um, but it was all linked. To, I, I know now it was all linked to the stress. And I know that because I've not had this sort of since over the last couple of years. Okay. And I now know it's because of the intense pressure that I put my of the situations that I put myself into. Um, and, and yeah, I think, I think that's sort of the main thing really. Okay. So, so you kind of, you peaked in your late twenties. Yeah. So it, well, it, it all, it, it came out. It wasn't myself that sort of, um, eventually work caught up with me. Okay. Um, there was, they'd hired new accountants because they realized that things were wrong. Okay. Um, and, well, they went through a significant audit, if you like, um, and they couldn't pinpoint it. The books were in a bit of a mess as as well, besides sort of myself. But um, And they almost wiped the slate clean and just said, look, we can't fix this, but we're going to sort of cover over it um, and we'll start afresh. And sure. I remember thinking at the time that would have, that would have been my chance, that if I, if I wanted to take the coward's way out, would have been that I could have just stopped at that point um, and, and sort of gotten away with it, you know, um, but I wasn't able to do that. And I think, I think I did stop for sort of a, a short period of time, maybe a couple of weeks. Okay. Um, but I think it was not long coming up to Christmas and sort of Christmas, obviously there's lots of sport and, and good racing and all that sort of stuff. And I think sort of, as it come up to that, it was just a case of that. I just picked it straight back up again. You know, I, I wasn't able to do that. Um, I think later on sort of that year we went away on holiday. I think I, I'd had, great success leading up to it i had thousands and thousands of pounds that i'd built up and um i think within a month i gambled it all um and the last remaining sort of a couple of thousand i spent i i, I informed my contact at the time that i wasn't going to gamble that particular week and i think within two days the remaining money i had gone um i literally had cash that was on me that we'd taken away on holiday um but there was nothing in in the bank i'd, I'd cleaned it out um and again that was another sort of point where i thought you know this needs to this needs to stop but i think i went back to work and again very sh shortly afterwards it was um i picked it straight back up again probably you know took took some more money and and carried on gambling um 
And then about a month or so later, then it started to raise its head again. Then there were serious questions that obviously sort of the slate had been wiped clean in terms of the finances at work. Um, and obviously there were significant anomalies again. Um, and, you know, where was this going? And um, I remember sort of that two, three weeks, I was under significant pressure because I knew fully, fully well where the money was. But I obviously was, again, trying to cover tracks and that sort of thing. Um, and... Yeah, and eventually one day I, I got up, had a shower, so I got changed, went downstairs. There was a letter through the door. I thought, you know, it's a bit early for the postman. There just it was a letter through the door just basically saying that you're, you're suspended. We've got evidence okay. of so-and-so, uh, and we want to meet with you later on in the week with legal representation, that sort of stuff. Um, and that's what I did. I obviously went, and um, they showed me what they had, and I came clean sure. as to what I was doing. Um, and then two days later, then the police turned up and took me in for questioning um yeah so obviously awful times um so obviously everybody involved you know my family and and, you know my wife and and obviously the work work and that that sort of stuff um we were due to have a baby boy three weeks later as well um so it was stressful enough yeah um and yeah, everything just crashed around me very, very quickly, if you like. Okay. So there was no admittance from my side that I'd had gambling problems. You know, I'd snowballed this thing over years and years and years. Sure. And, and yeah. eventually it, it came back, obviously, to um, to get me. And, you know, rightly so as well. So at that at that time, so thanks thanks for sharing, Rob. It sounds, yeah. it sounds really difficult to... Um, for me, I guess it, it sounds difficult that it it's gone on for so long and that you had lots of kinds of different pointers, um, yeah. but there was still this need, this drive to to get that 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 buzz or that. Um, and it sounds like that it was really difficult to change that behaviour. That you had opportunities where you kind of looked at um, um, some events where you thought, actually, I could I could stop. But there was that yeah. drive, that um, that emotional need, that um, that behaviour. You were so used to doing it that it was you, your desire to carry on was over overtook everything. That um, yeah, there the, was yeah, there was there was no the self control had gone. You know, there was no yeah. self control. Um, you know, yeah. from my illegal actions and and then as you say, you know, sort of the emotional stuff um, yeah. and yeah, the addiction part of it as well. Um, yeah, the warning signs were there. I should have taken them. Uh, as I say, there was cowards ways out. So I could have just stopped and, you know, gotten away with what I'd done. But um, I guess in the end, obviously, sort of the, the gambling part of it was what sort of continued then to, to drive me on. And, and, you know, that's eventually obviously what rightly so got me got me caught. So is, um, so at that time, so the, the police came, there was, I'm guessing, a, um, a, a big investigation, etc. You lost your job. Um, and then, so how have you become involved in, um, in, in kind of addiction recovery services now? Yeah. So we had, um, it was, it was very difficult with the police uh, investigation actually, because eventually before sort of all that and eventually going to court, it's about 15, 16 months. It was a really significant time, um, with not very much contact, to be honest. I had the initial interview, um, I think it was the October um, and then the second one wasn't until the May. So I, I heard nothing for six or seven months. So you're okay. just sort of in limbo, if, if you like. 
Um, as I said, we had the baby a couple of weeks afterwards. So it sure. was just sort of mini stages at the beginning. It was right. Okay. You know, you've been questioned. Then we had obviously a lot of financial implications that we immediately had to resolve. So I spent about a week or two weeks, you know, chasing things around, you know, changing bank account details, um, you know, changing names, putting my wife's name on certain things and all, all that sort of stuff. Um, that we had to do and then obviously early November then my, my little boy was born so that was the that had to obviously naturally took priority um, and we'd spoken sort of about a recovery so I, I closed all my my gambling accounts and sort of self-excluded uh, straight away uh, I remember doing that quite sort of vividly okay um, and I think I contacted GAMCARE so sort of the National Counseling Helpline and they um I had referred me back. So I think I had initial sort of assessment and referral conversations, um, but there was a bit of a, a waiting list. So I think I did that straight away. Then did obviously you... it was all about my little boy. Okay. Um, and then we spoke about sort of things like GA as well, Gamblers Anonymous, you know, sort of lived experience, you know, people supporting themselves. Sure. Um, and I think then by sort of about mid-November, once we were sort of home with the baby and that sort of thing, um, I think I attended my first GA uh, okay. about sort of mid-November which was incidentally about sort of three years ago uh, I think last meeting um, which was brought up which was nice um, and I think then I started some kind of counselling then towards the end of the November. Okay so can you remember that um, initial when you contacted um, kind of seek, like asking for help was that was that kind of from you or was that from your partner or did because up until that point, I guess what I'm hearing is that it was fine. This was your life. This is what you did until you had that knock on the door. Then there was that consequence, obviously, with the police investigation. Yeah. Um, and that it was it was bitty the contact that you had from kind of May to the November. So we did did you have this kind of moment? I guess that's what I'm I'm looking for. Or where you thought, do you know what? I do need help. I don't know where to go. Do I need help? Or is this a yeah. problem? I think it was just a shared thought. I think it was amongst, it was the right thing to do. Okay. Uh, it was what I needed to do. It was what obviously everyone said, look, okay, you know, obviously everyone's completely shocked and, you know, it, and nobody knew obviously what to say. It was a very difficult time as it has been for the last couple of years. Um, but yeah, it was just, it was just the shared feeling, you know, that's obviously what had to be done. I needed help. Um, yeah. And that was it really. I think I... I did the self exclusions um, that first week. I shut the accounts down, and yeah. I think I contacted the national helpline. Um, can I think you the remember week that? after? Can you I can remember that, that call. Actually, yeah, I think um, the, the 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 police officers first of all on the Saturday that came to uh, get me were. I think obviously they realised that. You know, I wasn't a violent person or anything like that, and I wasn't giving them any any trouble. So, you know, they spoke to me and treated me, you know, very well, that sort of stuff. Uh, and coming yeah. back, the guy was asking me certain sort of questions, and he just said, "Look, I think you obviously need to look at getting yourself some help and that sort of stuff." So, I remember that. Um, uh, yeah, I remember speaking to to Gamcare, um, the guy over the phone, very briefly. Uh, just gave me some sort of advice and, you know, was speaking about the self-exclusions and all this sort of stuff um, and, you know, passing on useful numbers and all that sort of stuff. And he explained sort of the processes. Um, so I know I would have been then referred back to sort of um, ARA, who obviously provide the service for sort of Wales. Um, I can't remember too much about sort of the assessment period there or the assessment call I would have had 
um, with them. But I can certainly remember the um, the sessions that followed over the next sort of couple of weeks and months. Sure. And was there anything about those sessions that um, that you found particularly helpful in maybe the way that you've been spoken to, the way that is there anything that kind of stands out that you think this is um, that that was really beneficial and that was really useful for you to keep wanting to to talk it through? Yeah, I think it was. I mean, it was again, it was sort of scary. I'd never been involved in any sort of services or anything along that sort of line. I'd never sat down and spoken to anybody about any specific issues, you know, on sort of a one to one basis, if you like. Sure. So I was, of course, naturally nervous, but I again, I appreciated that it was something I really, really had to do. So it wasn't. It was, a, you know, a case of you know should I do it should I not it was no I have to do this so let's do it um, and I think in my mind as far as I'm aware I think I struck the balance well between doing the two you know between doing the GA and the counselling so uh -huh. the counselling I think the most I took from the counselling was sort of um, a lot around sort of the cognitive behavioural therapy you know changing that mindset um, okay. recognising um, triggers and you know recognizing you know learning techniques i guess you know how how best to then fill that time and all that sort of stuff and she really helped because at that point i think my head was just if you just just spoken to me at that point there was nothing in there there was nothing in my head there was just empty thoughts you know often i would just sit there staring you know I didn't know what was coming. I, I didn't know how long it was going to take. Uh, I didn't know if I could get a job. I, you know, the baby was being born or was just obviously home. You know, I was, I was just there. It was, there was me, but there was nothing in there, if you like. Um, and I think yeah. sort of the, the, the counseling helped me sort of come back and to, to realize certain things. Uh, you know, I, I had to fill my time a little bit better. I had to start becoming myself. I had to start, you know, filling certain things. Um, and that was great. My, my counsellor was absolutely fantastic. Um, and yeah, we spoke, for, I think uh, it was eight, eight weeks, I think I did over the phone. Um, okay. And I think that ended, I think we had a short break over sort of the Christmas period, but I think we ended sort of early in Feb. Um, and it was, yeah, looking back, there was a significant difference in myself between that first call and, and sort of the last call. Um, okay. but then the GA stuff then, I think, going there and listening to other people who have gone through the gambling path, not necessarily, of course, the same story, but saying, you know, they've been to these deep, dark places, they've fallen out with family or whatever it is, or they lost their job or whatever it was and how they bounced back then that gave me, you know, sort of um, confidence. It gave me sort of belief that, okay, you know, these guys yeah. can do it. So, you know, why can't I? Um, and again, I think the mix was good. I had sessions sort of about three days apart with my GA and my counselling. So it was something that was always being spoken about. I was learning something new on each okay. session. Um, I often found myself, I'd come away from the counselling session and I would be like, my wife would be, how did that go? And I'd just be like, yeah, great. And I'd go away and do something. And then about a day or so later, I would be doing something and something that either she said or that we discussed together would come into my head and I would really digest it and take in um, what that was. And then I would go and speak to my wife about it. And I think one of the things I was most pleased of over, as time has gone on and that I learned from that was that, and particularly at that point, I'd realized that everything was out on the table. There was no more secrets. You know, obviously I'd been leading sure. secret life. I'd been taking the money, you know, work didn't know, family didn't know. 
Yeah. Um, all this sort of stuff. And it was almost in a weird about way, almost a bit of a relief, you so know, when this stuff did come out. And then when I was able to get a bit of a handle on it, if you like. Um, and yeah, you know, we were able to progress and I, 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 I've tried my best and I hope people would agree that the communication lines now that I have with sort of, you know, close friends and family and my wife and that sort of thing, I will share literally anything. So sure. I think I've learned that it's not good to, to keep those secrets specifically, you know, large secrets like that. But, you know, even sure. with anything now, I tell my wife certain things, she goes, why are you telling me that? And I just like, because now it's the way that I've changed. It's the thought yeah. process that I now go through that I would sure. rather, you know, tell you or, um things like the procrastination you know now if something comes through the door that needs to be dealt with i want to get straight on the phone at nine o'clock in the morning and deal with it it's just sure. that change whereas before it would have been put aside or cast aside because i had other priorities if you like so yeah. it's it, it's just the change and i guess that was a lot of what i took from sort of the, the counseling and the therapy uh and that part of it whether that's what she was trying to sort of tell me or whether that's what i've taken from it then that's, sure. that's the best thing yeah yeah Okay, so from um, so you mentioned just now, kind of three years. This 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 kind of part of um, your um, kind of recovery has got gone on for, for this amount of time. So um, just I'm just kind of curious then. So on a day to day basis, um, is are you? Because earlier on you talked about kind of that being consumed kind of with the gambling, with what was happening, you know, you had lots of text messages coming in. So kind of now on a day-to-day -day basis, um, your, your coping mechanisms, your, your thinking um, about that period. Um, so how, do you, how, how would you say um, that you've changed and how, because you mentioned some of it kind of with your wife and that you're really open and honest and you're not procrastinating. Um, is there anything then that you would that you really want to share you've got an opportunity kind of you know talking to, to student nurses um, and we're all going to have families friends um, mm. is there anything that you could would like to really um, to highlight because you mentioned earlier on about kind of that you there's lots of communication initially in questions and nobody you didn't you wouldn't have heard those questions or or comments but now how how would you um ensure that we have these conversations with people in about terms their of, behaviors about their behaviors um oh that's a good one <laughs> yeah i guess i'm interested in that at that time when you were going through that that difficult period even though you were saying it, it didn't feel difficult even though you had mouse ulcers you would recognize yeah. now that how stressed and agitated mm. you were um, but kind of how you're feeling now, where you're really honest, you're open, you're transparent to, to family and, and friends. Is there anything that um, healthcare providers, nurses, counsellors, you know, friends, family, is there anything that you think would you think looking back or now would be really helpful for, for people to, to ask questions or anything that you're really promoting as part of kind of addictions recovery services and I mean, a lot of the, obviously the professionals and practitioners and counsellors stuff, you know, they do a wonderful job anyway. Um, it's, I think it's just obviously 
yes there's lots of similarities in sort of addiction stories and that sort of thing um yeah. you know particularly with gambling um my wife did attend one of the ga meetings with us um previously it was something i wanted to sort of share with her what i was doing and just say come and just don't you know, um yeah. and the group invited her in and it was a great chat if you like um yeah. not a great experience for me because she she told them what she thought of me at the time yeah um and yeah. that sort of thing but it was good to hear they, they appreciated that obviously speaking to sort of an affected other if you like they they were really keen to hear again you know what sort of damage that we've caused as sort of gambling addicts you know that sort of financial aspect and the emotional aspect and all that sort yeah. of stuff you know to those sort of um, affected others um but yeah i mean it's a really tough question um yeah, yeah. it's i was just most grateful for the, all the support that i um had done and i think it's a, to appreciate that yes there are similarities but everybody's story is ultimately different yeah um, and people will take different things from sure. sessions and from support um and people will interpret things in different ways yeah um and i guess it's to uh, say i know everybody's different as well i, I mean i certainly not that the counselor was challenging towards me, but there was lots of thought provoking conversations and that really helped me because so, as I said, I, it wasn't just a case then that I was in the session uh, and I thought about it and spoke about it in the session. And then I didn't speak about it again then until the next week. It was things that kept cropping up in the week that I would be doing something as simple. I don't know, washing the dishes or painting a wall or something like that. And all of a sudden I just stop and go, wow, what was that? You know, that something's just come into my head that either I've thought of an example, you know, looking back, or whether it was something I thought of that had just, you know, the penny had dropped and I thought, wow, I need to be doing that or I, I, I want to change this to do that, you know, that sort of thing. So yeah. it, it's, it's, yeah, you know, it's just obviously really trying to get to know that person really and what, um, I mean, at ARA, they, they don't use a spe any specific techniques. You know, we all know sort of the different techniques, you know, person-centered and CBT and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But I think it's yeah. important, you know, not to try to, to generalize too much and to, okay. you know, really try to, to get to, to know that individual, I guess. Yeah. And I think that's really important is that we don't generalize. Um, yeah. And that we, we treat people as individuals. With yeah. story. There are a lot, as I say, there are lots of similarities, you know, those sort of impacts and risk factors that we talk about in certain situations, particularly with sort of addiction, you know, why is somebody developing or whatever? And yes, as I say, there, there are lots of trends and, you know, this, but, but ultimately everybody, everybody comes from different places. Everybody deals with different people. They have different jobs, different things. So, you know, there, there is, there are significant differences. Sure. So if you, um, if you could tell your, um, your 18 year old something, um, some advice. Have you ever thought maybe what you could, what you'd like to have told yourself? Stay at university would have been the first thing. Okay. <laughs> to, to, um, yeah, I, I don't know whether it was chasing the easy money, whether, I don't know, I can't remember what the decision was. I think it was just that case of that I'd, I'd been working, I could see that, you know, for a couple of months it was nice to have money obviously sort of you know being students you, you don't get a lot of that yeah. um i yeah to throw myself into things a little bit more uh, i think something now that i'm doing 
is that I'm throwing myself into the work that I'm doing and I'm enjoying it then as part of it. Whereas I think previously, yes, I would have done it. I passed exams and all that sort of stuff, but I wasn't really proactive. Um, and I'd like to think that I'm a little bit more proactive, you know, nowadays. Yeah. Um, if somebody says, do you want to come and do this for the day? Or uh, somebody wants to speak to you, would you have a chance? And I'd be like, yeah, now it's just like, yeah, right, let's go. Whereas I think then it would have been a bit, oh, well, I can't really do that that day because I've, you know, making sort of excuses, if you like. Um, I think that's what I'd sort of tell tell myself you know sort of from 12 years ago I guess yeah so it sounds like you've done done full full loop in what you would would have told yourself then about kind of educating yourself at that point and kind of educating yourself now and it sounds like over the last three years been involved in different organizations with counseling um um expanding your relationships with families friends um is that kind of that that education for you at the moment is is key in getting your your story across and also how we can influence hopefully um other people's behavior because you also mentioned about um peers hearing from other people with similar stories um, mm. but recognizing that we're all unique is a yeah. seems to have been a quite a key component for you um, yeah i think it's quite interesting um with the GA stuff, I found myself like the first couple of months, it was like going or all the counseling, you know, it was like a sponge, you know, these people were giving you advice or you were analyzing yourself on the back of whatever they were telling you, or they were giving you hints and tips or whatever it was. And you're just sort of taking it all in and trying to piece it together or no, I don't like that bit. Right. Let's move that. You know, and what is the new sort of me going to look like? Uh, and it's difficult yeah. to do when you've got sort of the police stuff over your head because you just don't know what's coming um, yeah. and that sort of stuff. Um, and it had become a point sort of going to the GA where, yes, you're always taking stuff in, you know, and you're always taking advice off other people and that sort of stuff. But all of a sudden you start to give some advice yourself. Um, okay. and then you sort of get that sort of turnaround. Yeah. And I think I sort of enjoyed trying to do that, particularly when people sort of listen to you as well. Um, you know, and I think particularly in that sort of situation, if new people are coming into the group you know you think back to how your first couple of meetings were you know that sort of thing uh you know as to the the dark places that you're in you know the negative mental health aspects all that sort of stuff you know you just don't know what to number unnerves as well you know going in you don't know what to expect yeah yeah is it you know all sitting around in a circle you know but the group i guess is is very sort of friendly we look after each other sort of more than trying to run the program if you like so it's it's more sort of you know people looking out for each other and yes we work the program of course we do um but you know it's 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 sort of quite tight-knit if you like um and that's nice i like that um if it was more of an open group and people are telling you you must do this and you must do that i think i wouldn't necessarily respond to that um but because you know it's just the way that it's done i like that and you know that's that's me personally um but i know sort of as they sort of that process sort of starting there I mean, we didn't really, t- but obviously uh, back in January 2019, then I was actually sentenced. Um, I did okay. serve sort of 15 months in prison, um, but we did some good work in prison. Um, there was a, there was no gambling support in prison. Um, okay. And I was, I was relatively okay at that point. You know, I, I didn't necessarily need it, but I appreciated that I needed to continue it. Sure. Um, there was nothing available. So we did try and eventually um, through some great significant help, we did end up setting up a GA sort of okay. um, situation um, in prison, which was good. And I think it's something that's continued. Yeah. Um, I actually then led as well um, a charity event. We raised about 4,000 pounds for T Haven, the children's charity. 
Wow. Uh, and we set up a family fun day. Uh, we had our families in. There was it was close to Christmas. There was like we we got Santa Claus in, and there was local businesses donated prizes, and there was sort of a raffle, and and we had sponsored events going on throughout the prison. So it was that, that was something that was really good, and I enjoyed sort of either helping other people or sort of putting your efforts into sort of good things, if you like. Um, sure. And that was just something then that I just sort of bounced off then. And when I came out, um, I saw this job with Ara. Um, I didn't think I was going to get it. Looking at it, you know, um, it was something that was different. Um, and I, I, I applied and um, obviously sort of the rest's history, sort of, as they say. So, yeah. Um, and yeah, it, it's just been great. It's, as I say, it's something now that I have thrown myself into. It's something that I'm enjoying. Um, I'm mainly presenting to people in the communities, you know, raising the awareness um, around sort of gambling and um, specifically to sort of young people, um, sure. you know, getting them to talk about it and to recognize it, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, but I also do assessments for the service as well. Okay. Um, so, you know, I am speaking to people on those first phone calls. You, know, you that are that person. That I, I am now that person, which is really yeah. weird um, in a weird about way. But it's, it's very great. It gives you a good feeling. Um, sure. And you know, particularly on those phone calls, I find now that I'm able to obviously offer a little bit more advice. Yes, we are mainly dragging information from them. Um, yeah. Pass on to the practitioners. But I'm able to give them a couple of little bits of advice um, and sometimes you can genuinely see them, you know, thanking you for doing that. And that's so fulfilling. You know, it gives you such a good sense that you're, sure. you're doing something right. Um, yeah. And that, that means a lot to me. So. Sure. Oh, Rob, it's been really interesting um, hearing your story and your journey. Um, and I think you've kind of summed it all up there, kind of, um, you know, with, with kind of that you are now that, that person on the end of that phone. I think that, that feels really significant for me I think to um to perhaps end this conversation here um but to leave us with um with kind of any any um anything that you want us our students that we you know that we can how we can take this forward I think you know I've worked in addictions for a long time and there's lots that you've said um is resonated there's lots that I feel you know challenged with in my own interventions with people with addictions and I think you know it's been really useful for me to to, to, to think and to reflect on maybe my approaches my um communication um and assumptions that yeah that you know I've made huge assumptions as a as a practitioner um, and I think it's really interesting to, to kind of have that that balance of what it was really like for you um during your um, your formative years as well and, and that looking at you know you talked us through you know 16 to 18 your 20s and really significant life events and I think hearing that from yourself has been been really um quite emotional I guess you know to um to be to, to hear your journey it's, it's it's been um and you've done it really um quickly over this podcast and I really appreciate you know there's there's lots more but I think is for us to take away something else from this podcast is there anything um that you want us to take away because I think you know there's, there's lots we can take away but for you your your key your key points yeah so I, I guess key points you know if, if anybody's sort of in a in a similar situation you know it's there's there's lots of stigmas you know related to gambling um you know particularly if if you're somebody that is suffering with sort of some of those 
there's harmful effects um, and that sort of thing you know it's to it's to go out and speak to people you know it's not as scary as it sounds uh, there's lots of people out there willing to give you advice and support you know whether it be um, you know whether it be uh, a friend you know it doesn't have to be a professional you know it can be just sharing your your thoughts with a, with a friend you know somebody that's close to you um, you know, but these support services that are out there, you know, are fantastic. Um, whether it be you go to your GP first and, you know, you get referred or whatever it might be. But, you know, the, the, the counselling services out there are great. You know, the lived experience groups, GA, that sort of thing. You know, it's all great. They're all people that would be willing to help you. Uh, nobody is going to make assumptions. Um, you know, I think it's important that, that that's the, I think a lot of people feel that they'll probably get judged in situations like this and you know that's sure. that's probably as far removed from the cases as often possible um yeah. you know it's it, it, these stories are probably nothing new that some of these people have never heard of before as i say every story will be different but you know there are similarities um and, and it's important that you know people do reach out even if it's that you know you you've starting to feel that gambling is just not agreeing with you or you, you know you you're spending a little too much you know it doesn't have to be at that point where it's disaster you know whether it's something like in my case where you know everything comes out at once or whether it be that your your health deteriorates or anything along that sort of line you know you can just ring up at any point just to speak to somebody just to maybe get some clarification some direction it could be anything you know just some advice and support and i think that's the make you know the sort of key message really so speak and talk and don't be frightened to to seek that that help that reassurance a hundred percent yeah yeah that's lovely okay thanks ever so much rob for your time after the interview rob wanted to emphasize that everything still isn't okay he continues to live with the consequences of his actions and gambling never really goes away he still gets stressed and agitated as a result of his addiction and is still in significant debt He's trying to create a new normal life with his young family. He still attends GA and is working upon himself to ensure that, in his own words, I don't revert back to those old ways. Rob now works with ARA Recovery for All, who have worked closely with Cardiff University and our wellbeing services. If you'd like more information on gambling addiction, please visit the ARA Recovery for All website, the NHS website or organisations such as Mind. Thank you to Rob and thank you for listening.